Aloha and good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise. And Yanji, this morning we have two experts who will be joining us who have really uh, taken the lead in helping our state navigate through this COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, we are so lucky to have the Director of the Department of Health, Dr. Libby Char, and also joining us from the Department of Health is our Acting State Epidemiologist, Dr. Sarah Kimball. Um, so wonderful to have both of you on today. We know that so many people have questions about the status of the virus and as things start to open up, what is safe and what is not. But let's start with the vaccinations. Dr. Char, where are we on getting to that you know, goal of 60 and then 70%? Well, we're improving day by day. I think right now we are at, <clears throat> excuse me, at 57.9%, somewhere in that ballpark. So we're, we're getting there day by day. Uh, vaccination has slowed down a little bit and we're doing our best to keep it in the forefront of people's minds and encourage them to get vaccinated. And uh, just to follow up on that, Dr. Char, you know, the state has set those benchmarks, the 60% we know uh, has been established as one of those benchmarks, although a lot of those restrictions have already been lifted. Uh, but moving forward into the 70%, how confident are you that the state will be able to reach that 70% vaccination rate? We'll definitely hit the 70% rate. It's just a question of when. Um, and I know a lot of people would like to hit it really soon. Um, I think it's going to take a bit longer, but we will definitely get there. Um, so the real question is, how long will it take us? And that's really dependent upon the rate at which we continue to vaccinate people and, and people are willing to go out and get vaccinated. Um, Dr. Campbell, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Delta variant and if you could give us a picture of what that looks like here in Hawaii. We've been hearing a lot about that in other communities. We know that it is present in all the counties, but how concerned are you about that right now and, and what kind of protection do we have with the vaccines that we have? Right. As of last week, we had 13 cases of the Delta variant identified within the state and the, that was in all four counties. What's concerning about the Delta variant um, is that we still have a lot of things we don't understand about it. We don't know what impact it's going to have. Uh, there is data out there that says it is more transmissible than other variants that have been circulating, even more transmissible than some of the other variants of concern. And um, there's some concern that potentially it may cause more severe disease, although we're still watching the signs on that. I think we're really going to have to watch the case numbers here in the state to see what happens. We have a pretty highly vaccinated uh, population at this point, and we're still getting uh, aiming to get more. Um, but the jury is still out to see the impact that the Delta variant is going to have. And it means that we need to still uh, really emphasize getting vaccinated if you haven't been yet, because those are the people who are most at risk from these new variants. And of course, we know that the vaccine is not 100% uh, foolproof, that there is those breakthrough cases. Uh, I'm wondering, Dr. Kimball, if you can share with us more information about that. How many cases uh, or people have tested positive even after getting uh, the two shots or being fully vaccinated? We do get reports of people that have been fully vaccinated and still test positive for coronavirus, uh, but it's a small number compared to the cases that we get with tweet. So we have um, seen thousands of cases since vaccines started, and for breakthrough cases, uh, really a very small proportion of that, less than 2%. Uh, and if you look at those that are hospitalized, out of the thousands and thousands of cases reported, um, since January, we've only had five hospitalizations among people that have been fully vaccinated and no deaths reported to date. We always so like we, to... 
if I could just jump in on that, I mean, we know that that the vaccines work. We know that it will keep you safe from um, Delta variant and any of the other uh, strains of, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So it, it works. It's not impossible to get an infection after you've been vaccinated. But if you do, as Dr. Kemble saying, you're not likely to get severely ill from it. You're not likely to be hospitalized from it. And I think that's what's really important. Sticking with you, Dr. Char, Stephanie's got a question, and we always like to bring in those from the audience. She's asking, what are your thoughts on incentivizing vaccines? Do you think it's helping the state hit those benchmarks? Of course, uh, last month we had the High Got Vaccinated campaign with the lotteries uh, for you know various prizes. What kind of an impact did you think that made? Um, is, it, is it measurable at this point? And are they looking, are, is the state looking at any other similar programs to try to get more people to participate? I think the biggest benefit of, of doing the vaccine um, campaign has been just to keep it in people's awareness and to keep it front of mind. So from the Department of Health side, we've really been focused on doing outreach and, and education and access to the vaccine. And then a lot of our community partners started throwing in um, incentives and whatnot. And I think, you know, for people who haven't been vaccinated yet because of, you know, whatever reason, that may have been enough of an incentive for them to actually go out and get vaccinated. So that's been a good thing. But there's so many reasons why people haven't been vaccinated yet. And so we sort of have to figure out what each person's reason is and then address that, whether it's questions or educations or not. I mean, education or, or access. The important thing, I think, is just that the campaign has kept the awareness up. Dr. Kimball, as we look through just the amount of cases that continue to come in each and every day, uh, of course, we do see days when those that count is lower, but we are holding pretty steady at the amount of positive cases that are reported every day. With the rate in which we are getting people vaccinated and the overall percentage, uh, why is it that our numbers aren't really dropping that dramatically, that we're not seeing those single digits or those lower numbers, but still in those uh, upper range numbers around 40 to 50, uh, even with the amount of people that have been vaccinated in our community? Right now we're approaching 60% of our population being fully vaccinated and we're really excited to hit that mark. Um, we do know from the science that's been out there already that herd immunity may come at a higher percentage even than that. It could be um, higher than 70%, it could be closer to 80%. We, we just don't know yet. And with the new variants, that can also skew um, what it takes to get to herd immunity. I think watching the numbers will help us to understand how much impact the vaccine is having. And we can expect as more people get vaccinated that those numbers will continue to come down. It may be gradual, but that trend will happen. You know, given that, I want to bring in this can this question from Angela Keene, who helps run the quarantine couple breakers. This is actually for both of you. Uh, she runs that Facebook group. She says, will the Department of Health continue to advocate for mask wearing indoors with the Delta variant being more prevalent? Uh, Dr. Kemble, I'd, I'd love for you to take this one first. Do you think that people should continue to wear masks indoors given the Delta variant? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on Angela's question? The number one thing you can do to protect yourself from the Delta variant and other variants is to get vaccinated. We've seen that vaccines are highly effective against all of these variants, as well as the other strains of coronavirus. Um, if you are unvaccinated, then wearing a mask is also protective and all of the other mitiga mitigation measures that we've been talking about. So mask wearing is going to be particularly important if you haven't had your vaccine yet. And to follow on that, Dr. Char, I mean, 
would you say that it would be okay for people to not, uh, for us to do away with the masks at some point, uh, you know, considering that, uh, you know, a larger population does get vaccinated, we hit that 70%. Are you still, are you comfortable, I guess, in masking with uh, the no mask wearing? We're seeing some states now considering putting masks back into the picture as those case counts go up again. Uh, your thoughts overall on mask, mask wearing? I think if you're with your family or a group that you know has all been vaccinated, then it's much safer to not wear a mask indoors. Um, other than that, if you're indoors and you're around people that you, you don't know or that you don't know their status, yes, wear your mask indoors. It's, it's safe, it works, it will help to protect you and in turn to protect the whole group. You know, Dr. Char, I want to get to something that Ryan uh, started off with, uh, which is this getting to that 70 percent. Dr. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green has been on this program and has said that it'll be a quote unquote slog to get there. And he says that he would encourage the governor to perhaps in the future consider other metrics, uh, things like hospitalizations and case counts, rather than trying to get to 70 percent because it might be just too long to get there. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there should be other metrics in consideration to drop some of these COVID-19 restrictions or is the percentage of vaccinated really the gold standard on this? I think it's important to remember that, that it's the SARS-CoV-2 virus that determines what constitutes herd immunity. It's, it's not us. And I think especially with the advent of the um, the Delta variant and now Delta Plus and other variants, you know, we'll continue to see mutations and variants as long as people continue getting infected. So we're kind of keeping an eye on that. Our role as a Department of Health really is to, you know, keep keep track of reportable diseases and then we provide recommendations and guidance. Um, we try and prevent additional cases. We try and control spread and outbreaks. Um, but we take that information and that guidance and we present it to the policymakers and they're the ones that make the policy and the determinations. One of those policies will be, of course, including schools. We talked to uh, State Superintendent Dr. Christina, Christina Kishimoto on this platform on Monday, uh, and she talked about some of those reopening efforts, what school will look like next year. Uh, Dr. Kimball, what will that look like for students uh, heading back into the classroom? We know that you're working closely with the Department of Education on this. Uh, she mentioned that there will be uh, there won't be ne uh, necessarily any distancing between the students because of just the size of the capacity of the classrooms. Uh, what will school look like next year for students re-entering the classroom? I believe that it's really important that we're getting our kids back into school. I'm glad that we are. Um, it's taken a toll on the um, mental and physical health of kids in Hawaii to be out of school for those that haven't been in full in-person learning. So the move towards full in-person learning in the fall is really a positive step for Hawaii. In terms of what school will look like, um, you know, maximizing vaccination before return to school for those that are eligible is the number one thing we can do to improve safety in the schools. So that is great um, to continue to uh, promote vaccination for return to school for those who are eligible. There's still many other tools in the toolkit that schools are gonna be using in the fall to ensure safety. And it's not one thing, it's gonna be multiple layers of protection. And it's that layered approach that has brought success to schools elsewhere and in Hawaii, even during times of high transmission. So that's gonna include wearing masks indoors and physical distancing is one tool in the toolkit, but it's not the only one. 
where it's possible, putting distance between kids does improve safety. But there are also other ways to um, mitigate, and that includes looking at how ventilation is working in the classroom. Are you getting airflow, um, exhausting air out of rooms where you can? We're lucky in Hawaii to have a lot of outdoor spaces and open air ventilation. And it's also about um, encouraging cohorts so that if you are sticking together with the same group of kids, even if there is an exposure, it's not going to travel throughout the entire school. So there's many different layered interventions that will help. Um, Jenny's got a question to follow up on that, and she just wants to know how the Department of Health is involved in evaluating the facilities themselves, particularly, as you mentioned, that ventilation with the impending return of full in-person instruction. So do you have folks going out and actually looking at the classrooms, or are you setting out some guidelines for teachers? We know, obviously, it's a statewide district, so there's a lot of classrooms to look at. Uh, it would probably be physically impossible for you to get to all of them in the five weeks you've got left. So so what kind of protocols are in place for teachers and for administrators as they start to open up in, you know, just over a month? Well, the Department of Health doesn't play a regulatory role for looking at classrooms. We've certainly spent a lot of time on the ground walking through classrooms to see how they're set up and providing recommendations. Um, as I said, a lot of the schools that I've seen actually have really um, uh, good setups for ventilation because we have the ability to open our windows here and to um, to bring in that natural ventilation. That's a factor that some of the mainland schools have not been fortunate enough to have. Uh, so many schools actually are in pretty good shape for ventilation here. And, and a final follow up on just schools reopening. We know another large component of that, of course, are gatherings with students, whether it be for athletic uh, events, uh, you know, school assemblies. Uh, how is the Department of Health providing recommendations for those types of gatherings, uh, maybe specifically with Sports First and then other large gatherings that ultimately happen in schools? So for sports, uh, sports that can be played outdoors, are, it's gonna be much safer to proceed with sports play outdoors than indoors, and the mask requirements still stand for indoor play. Um, and so sports that can be played safely with a mask on indoors probably should not be played indoors. Outdoors, uh, it's what we've learned about sports is that it's really not so much um, play itself on the field. It's all the things that go along with being part of a sports team that might introduce risk. So it's the time that you spend on the sidelines with your friends. It's getting to and from sports practice. Uh, it's the time in the locker rooms. So I think a lot of the lessons learned around sports outbreaks is really looking at those uh, things that happen on the sidelines and making sure you're addressing mitigation in those settings. Finally, the number one thing that you can do for safe return to sports is get your team vaccinated. And on that point, Dr. Char, Stephanie's got a question for us this morning. She says, when do you foresee vaccines being available for Keiki under 12? And, and what would that age group be? Will it be five plus or two plus uh, first available? So I know that seven or, several of the various vaccine uh, manufacturers are in the process of doing uh, clinical trials to evaluate vaccine use in those five to 12. And then also looking at it from, from I think it's like six months to two years and then two years to five years. So those trials are, are already in place. Um, I don't have an exact date when we might know whether or not we're gonna get FDA um, emergency use authorization for those. My guess would be sometime in the fall. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's sooner than later, but I'm guessing, you know, wild guess end of September, October, 
um, sooner the better. Another question, Dr. Char, for you specifically has um, coming in from Carrie asking, uh, I had the Johnson Johnson one shot and I'm now I'm worried about the efficacy with new variants, most specifically the Delta variant. Will I need to get a booster shot or can I get the Pfizer or Moderna shots? Uh, maybe if you can start off by answering her question specifically and then any other updates you may have regarding booster shots that may be needed and necessary for those who maybe have gotten the vaccination earlier on this year. That's a really good question. Um, and again, this is this is a pandemic that's unfolding, you know, day by day. Um, as far as the Johnson & Johnson shots, so far the vaccines that we have have been quite effective against, um, against COVID. Um, there are some trials underway to look at getting a shot of a different vaccine, um, sort of to enhance the antibody response, but those are just trials right now. Nothing's been, been formalized and there are no recommendations for that yet. I don't believe CDC has any recommendations yet for anybody for a booster shot. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point that became a recommendation, but right now there is no recommendation. And I don't know if Dr. Kemble has more specific knowledge on that. That's exactly right. The science right now is really looking into some of our more vulnerable populations, for instance, uh, older folks who are in nursing homes who might be at highest risk to see if a booster shot is going to improve response for some of those people. But the science is still ongoing. We don't have answers to that yet. Dr. Char, I, I want to ask you a question about a decision that the governor made. I know you don't like to get political, so, so I'm just, I want you to answer this from a public health perspective. Uh, the governor's made the decision that um, very shortly people from outside of the state of Hawaii can enter the state of Hawaii with vaccine verification, but there isn't a real mechanism now to verify that those vaccination cards that they're uploading to safe travels are, are authentic. Uh, hopefully that does come into play at some point, but the system's not up yet. Um, do you think it's too soon to allow those travelers in knowing that some of those cards could be fake? Well, I, I think in general, um, we would hope that people would be honest about about their vaccination status. Um, I think the real thing to remember is that that what we were watching is what we have control over, which is our population, right? So we know that we have almost 58% of the population fully vaccinated, and that shortly we'll get to 60% of our population being fully vaccinated. By having the majority of our population, small majority, but 60% fully vaccinated, that allows us to, to deal with more risk. And so it really is a matter of risk benefit. And I think at 60% fully vaccinated in our community, we will be able to withstand a little bit more risk from external sources. And so I think that's part and parcel of the, the whole issue with, with travelers. Dr. Kimball, one of the things that you said early on in this broadcast was just tracking those numbers and really looking through the science and looking at the numbers to help determine how we best move forward. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about the numbers that we're seeing right now. We know that there will be uh, another death, unfortunately, reported today. But uh, what is the profile of those who you're seeing getting uh, infected uh, with this virus still? And if there is any common denominator in age or, or group demographics or any kind of insights that you're getting from the numbers you're seeing right now? Primarily, we're seeing infection in people who are unvaccinated. So, as I said, over 98% of the cases we see continue to be among unvaccinated individuals. Uh, so getting your shot really is the best protection. Um, 
We are always constantly following whether it's certain age groups coming out. Uh, we have been seeing some uptick in pediatric um, infections and uh, school-aged children. So that's something we really want to watch closely as we look towards reopening schools. Um, a lot of that doesn't come through kids being together in classrooms. In fact, most of the pediatric cases we see um, were exposed in their households. So it's really thinking about within your household, even though some of the household members might be vaccinated, um, if there are household members who are not vaccinated, that can still bring in infection and affect other household members. Dr. Kimball, can you expand on those pediatric cases just a little more? Because we haven't seen a lot of those, at least not reported publicly. Um, you know, what's the course of infection for those kids? And do can kids become long haulers as well? The science on long haul COVID is um, still evolving, and we really don't know how this impacts children yet. I think that's a really important area of research and um, something we'd like to have more answers to. While children in general tend to have less severe disease, uh, we still see um, some percent of them. In Hawaii, it's been about 1% of pediatric cases that do get hospitalized. And those who do get hospitalized can still have severe disease. I think it's really um, wanting to make sure that you uh, maximally protect yourself from that possibility. Even though your neighbor may do fine, um, you don't want to be the one person who ended up in the ICU or your child ended up in the ICU. So we still do see those bad outcomes for children, and that's one of the reasons we feel vaccination is so important. Dr. Char, you know, we are seeing a, a large influx of visitors coming to the islands, especially now with the summer months upon us, we're expected to see even more as the state reopens. But one of the concerns or one of the complaints that many business owners have uh, come from those in the hospitality and restaurant industry who are saying that uh, they can't handle the demand right now with those restrictions that are currently still in place uh, for those restaurants that can only occupy 75%, but must also keep uh, that six feet of social distance uh, would you be uh open to maybe allowing uh, some of those changes to make uh, happen where restaurants could open at a larger capacity or limit some of those requirements for the distance spaces again i know this is not a decision that you would make that this is ultimately up to our, our elected officials but in the case of uh, public policy and, and your guidance to what you provide uh, would that be something that you would consider uh, an option for some of these establishments that are looking to have uh, more occupancy. So understandably, um, this is a huge issue for the restaurant industry and for the hospitality industry in general. I think, I mean, we're going to sound like a broken record, but one of the best things that that industry can do is to get its workers vaccinated. Um, that will help to protect them. As far as the public health standpoint of, of the restaurants and, and, you know, tables being close together, it makes good public health sense that really to separate the various groups within the restaurant so the different tables and different parties um, you don't know if the people at the table next year vaccinated or not um, to have that distance between you especially since you have a, you, you incur a lot of risk when you're in the restaurant right you're not wearing your mask you're there for a long prolonged period of time you know if it's noisy you're talking loudly um, and you're, you're indoors and you're with a bunch of people that you have no idea whether they've been vaccinated or not. So from a public health standpoint, keeping the, the distance between the tables is, is a really important factor. Um, I know they want to be able to put more people in and pack more people into the restaurants. I absolutely understand from the economic side, but from the public health standpoint, um, we're just looking at the safety issue and, and trying to keep people safe. 
Dr. Char, who's not getting vaccinated right now? I know that you've been on in the past and we've taught, talked a lot about access and making sure that, you know, mobile clinics are going out to certain communities and, and especially people who may be homebound or uh, elderly or disabled or might not have the financial resources to drive to a clinic. Um, but at the moment, who are you seeing, where are you seeing the most need and what's sort of the lowest hanging fruit? Who can we get vaccinations to uh, the quickest? So I think that gets back to the question of why people haven't been vaccinated thus far. Um, it's We have a, a data map right now that, that Sarah and her team have done a great job of putting together. And it shows us, according to zip codes, where we have um, lower vaccination rates than in other areas. But keep in mind that even within a highly vaccinated population or zip code, there can be pockets that are, you know, have a lower uptake. So it really is about finding people who haven't been vaccinated yet and and figuring out why they haven't been vaccinated and having those conversations if it's a matter of education and providing good education so they can make you know good choices for those i think when you talk about low-hanging fruit to me it's those who haven't gotten vaccinated yet because of convenience to the extent that we can make it super convenient for them um i think that will help and we have seen some of that so I think in the month of June, we had like 400 different sites that people could get vaccinated at. And I think that may be part of why we had a little bit of a bump in, in you know, people going out and getting vaccinated, but really to figure out why people haven't been vaccinated yet. And then to try and address that concern so that they can make a good decision. Our time is almost up, but I did want to get a final thought. We'll start with you, Dr. Kimball. As we head into this 4th of July weekend, uh, we know that this has been a target point for many elected leaders saying that this was going to be the day where we, we are able to reopen and resume uh, a sense of normalcy. Are, are you at all worried about uh, what we're going into this weekend with large gatherings planned and people planning to gather together uh, to celebrate the 4th of July and any advice that, or concerns that you may have about that? We have sometimes seen a bump in cases after a big holiday weekend. So like for um, other holiday weekends that have gone by, we definitely recommend that you play it safe this 4th of July weekend. We've come a long way. Uh, we do have a lot of people out there who have been fully vaccinated and that may give you some leeway in planning some of your get togethers as long as you're playing it smart. Uh, if you know there are people in the group who are not vaccinated or who may not be vaccinated, still make sure that people are wearing their masks indoors and that you keep the group sizes relatively small. Uh, you can still really get together and enjoy that time um, with those safety measures in place. And Dr. Char, we'd love a final thought from you, especially as Ryan mentioned, we head into the holiday weekend. I think as Dr. Kemble says, we, we have come a long way and, and I think we should remember that. And, and, you know, that's a community effort. So thank you to everybody in our community for getting us this far. Um, we all want to get together and spend time with loved ones and, and friends. And I think exactly as Dr. Kemble says, let's do it safely and let's make decisions smartly. So we know that outdoors is safer than indoors. We know that smaller groups are safer than larger groups. We know that vaccinated is absolutely safer than unvaccinated. And if you're gonna be indoors and you're with people, you don't know their vaccine status, please, please, please wear your mask. Um, it's okay to get together and to, and to celebrate, but let's do it smartly. Okay, Dr. Uh, Kimball and Dr. Char, thank you so much for taking time to join us this morning. We appreciate uh, you taking the questions from our viewers and always appreciate you just coming on the show. So thanks so much. Thank you. Aloha. Thank you so much.
always interesting to hear from the experts. And uh, Ryan, I thought your question about the restaurants was very interesting too, because we have heard that push to try to limit that distance so the tables don't have to be so far apart. Um, that's not, as you noted, a, a decision for Dr. Char, but she is providing the guidance. And it sounds like her guidance is to keep the distance. Yeah, from a health standpoint, she's saying the safest bet is to continue to keep that distance because of the fact that you don't know who uh, may be sitting next to you. And we know that that is a call that the Restaurant Association continues to make. Uh, we know that the mayor has been uh, talking about trying to find ways to ease some of those restrictions as well. Uh, and so we'll see what happens as those policymakers continue to meet to decide how we go through this effort of reopening. Uh, and again, the campaign, I mean, it, it, it does sound at times that they're repeating themselves, but you can tell that they are staying on point with their messaging of just getting people vaccinated. Uh, they are trying to make sure that the state and those within the state have every opportunity uh, to get vaccinated if they so choose to. And uh, it sounds like they are continuing to push hard for that 70%. Absolutely. Uh, one of the concerns that Dr. Kimball raised that we haven't heard a lot reported on is the, is the idea of having more pediatric cases in our community. That, of course, is troubling. Children under 12 cannot get a vaccine yet. And she said this is really uh, this is these are exposures that are happening at home. Uh, so that is something to be cognizant of. Of course, school starts in about five weeks, and she did talk about measures there. Students will be required, of course, to wear masks, but some of the physical distancing is just simply not possible. So they're looking at ventilation and how they make sure that the airflow is helping um, and, and social distancing when possible. Uh, but those pediatric cases definitely is something that we are going to try to take a look at on this program some more, because I know it's something that a lot of you will be interested in. You know, and just thinking back during that interview, I mean, you think about these two individuals who we spoke to this morning, uh, you know, they are in a role that has vastly changed over the course of the year. And if you remember, they came in in the middle of this pandemic and uh, maybe now they've sort of settled into their roles as, of course, the interim epidemiologist and the new director of the Department of Health. But uh, just to think about the things that they've had to go through during this time and the evolution of this virus going from, uh, you know, just keeping people safe to now getting people vaccinated, there has certainly been uh, a number of different paths and chapters to this saga and uh, always appreciate having them on. Uh, but just interesting to note that, uh, you know, they kind of came into this whole thing midway through the pandemic and they continue to be pushing hard now, obviously, with the vaccine. Yeah, and, and as Dr. Kimball said, you know, there's so much going on in terms of variants. Uh, she did talk about the Delta variant, that they were having to now figure out their way around that, that there were 13 Delta variant cases in the state of Hawaii. Um, and the, again, reiterating, as we say always, the best thing to do is to get vaccinated to protect yourself. Um, we're switching gears a little bit on Friday. We're going to be uh, talking to the folks from the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement. Uh, Mary Monarch is this weekend. I know, Ryan, that that's a celebration in your hometown and something that you'd like to attend uh, from time to time. So we're going to be talking about, you know, Pop-Up Makeke, which is uh, an opportunity for some of those vendors to be able to reach uh, people who want to buy some of their stuff. And also uh, the council has announced uh, just this week a rental relief program. And we're going to be talking about how you can maybe access some of those funds. That's right. Looking forward to that conversation. And again, we want to thank all of you for tuning in. Lots of questions today. We know that you guys always have a lot of questions for uh, our Department of Health officials. So we thank you for uh, tuning in and we'll see you right back here on Friday. Aloha. Aloha.